0: All the episodes you will hear on this podcast are the audio versions of the video content on the Great Light Studios YouTube channel. If you would like to watch the video version of this episode, you can find a link in the show notes. For those of you who may not know, I do rely on monthly financial supporters to continue doing everything I do through this platform. If you are blessed by the resources produced through Great Light Studios and want to help support me in continuing to do all this, then you can find information about how to in the show notes of this episode. And also, would you consider leaving a five-star review on this podcast? Positive reviews go a long way in helping to get this content pushed out to more people. With all that said, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That means that before God had created anything, when all that existed was the triune God, and there was no creation, in the mind of God, He had already identified those who He would place in union with His Son. And in His mind, at that very moment, they were in Christ. You were joined to Him in the mind of God. In eternity past, before anything was ever created.
0: So if you've watched any of my videos on Ephesians chapter 1 before, you'll know that I focus a lot on that phrase, in Him. You know, not only in verse 4 do I think the in Him, the in Christ is the key to understanding verse 4 and 5, but really the rest of the chapter and then much of Paul's other writings. So you can find specific quotes, and, and I can even provide some from John Piper, where, where the idea from Calvinism that it conveys is not that not a choice of God of, of individuals in Christ, but a choice of God that he, he chooses certain individuals to. Be in Christ
1: we are chosen to be in Christ chosen individually
0: to be in Christ chosen individually to be in Christ what Calvinism would communicate they communicate a choice of individuals from God to be in Christ eventually and I hope you see the difference there it was God's plan all along <laughs> to save and to have me in Christ okay so what he just said is that it was God's plan all along to save and to have me in Christ. It wasn't a choice of, of God choosing individuals in Christ, rather it was a choice of individuals to get into Christ or to eventually be in Christ. Paul says that every spiritual blessing, including being chosen, is in him. It's inside of Jesus. It's not outside, it's not prior to Jesus, it's not before a relationship and uh, this faith connection to Jesus, but it's inside that. When I have shared these videos on Ephesians 1 and the significance of God's choice of us being in Christ, Um, a common Calvinist response is to suggest that God has always seen us as being um, in Christ from his eternal perspective. And from our limited perspective, we come to be in Christ at a specific point in time, but from God's perspective, we have always been in Christ. And so to kind of show you what I mean, I'm just, I'm going to read a specific a couple of comments here. And these are on my video, a recent video, well, depending on when I release this, it's it's recent as of today anyways. Um, Apologia Studios and Calvinism, uh, my response to them. So I'll I'll link to the video below if you do want to look at uh, these comments yourself, Uh, maybe even if you want to uh, respond to some of these things or engage in some of the conversation going on in this video. Um, and even be able to watch some of the points I make in the video that they're responding to. But, but this is just some of the things that this this person said um, that I'm, I'm believing this is a Calvinist. Um, and so they said, when it comes to Ephesians 1, it has always been about being in Christ. Uh, this term is repeated throughout the book. God the Father relates to the believers in Ephesus as always being in Christ. He says the only cl- conclusion we should make is the elect have always been in Christ from the beginning, despite not knowing Christ before they were converted. I don't see a problem with this. So my big emphasis in Ephesians 1 is to say that the choice that God makes is in Christ. It's not before we get in Christ, it's not outside of Christ, and, um, and so I emphasize that. And so Calvinists like, like this one will often, this is a, a pretty common response to what I'm saying. They'll say, well, you know, from God's eternal perspective, he's always looked at the elect as if they, they were in Christ. So, um, you know, I, I jumped down and I just realized that there was then somebody else who came on, another Calvinist I saw this morning and responded to this other person's comment, kind of saying, "Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Basically, I agree that yes, that's the way we should understand Ephesians one four. That in a uh, you know, from God's eternal perspective, God's always looked at the elect as if they were already in Christ. Um, so I, I want to. I, I've written out some thoughts. I wrote, I began as I usually do, writing out a response, and it turns into. Um, much longer uh than than I can really post in a, a comment and so I just wanted to make this video responding to this since it is such a common thing I'm hearing and so when I hear this sort of response um I can't help but feel that uh three things really one thing when I hear this response I feel like You know, when I'm giving this pushback about, you know, the significance of the in him of verse four, I feel like the responses that I often get from uh, the Calvinists that I push, you know, kind of push to give a response on this issue uh, from, I feel like their responses are often, if not always, um, concerning the in him being made up on the spot. Uh, without much prior forethought or thinking through of of whether it even makes sense of Ephesians one four, um, it, it seems like yeah like there. When I push this issue of you know what's the significance in your view of of God's choice being uh, said to be in Him, I feel like the answers the response I'm given give me the indication that it's uh, something that they haven't really put much. Um, thought into, that they haven't really seen the in him aspect of this as, as, as you know, very significant probably, and, and it's just maybe sort of this fancy kind of spiritual tag-on uh, that has really no ultimate relevance in understanding what it means that God chose us.
1: I think it's a really important theme. It's so pervasive in the New Testament, and yet it's so neglected. I think there are many people who read the New Testament and it never dawns on them how central this theme is.
0: So the second thing that I just can't really help but feel when Calvinists give this response um, that that we're seeing here in the comments, that that we've always been in Christ, in God's mind, um, it, it feels somewhat like an appeal to mystery. It's sort of like a, you know, I'm presenting what I feel like is a, a, a significant issue and a, even a contradiction within Calvinistic theology where you know, the choice is in Christ, it's, it's of those in Christ. God isn't said to choose people who aren't yet in Christ. It's people who are presently in Christ who are always in the New Testament. They are the ones identified as chosen. There's never unbelievers, people who aren't yet in Christ that are being identified as being chosen. And nobody disagrees, there's really no dispute that I'm aware of that there is a specific point in time where believers come to be in Christ, where before that they weren't in Christ.
1: New Testament believers seem to have thought of themselves fundamentally as people who had been given this new identity, that they were no longer united to Adam, they'd been brought into a new humanity in Jesus Christ and all the riches of his grace made over to them. This happens by the new birth, and you can see that in 1 John 3, 6 and 3, 9, where abiding in Christ, Comes from being born of God,
0: and so if God chose us in Christ, how does that? What does that even mean? What does that mean in the Calvinistic systematic? How how does how does the in Him have any significance to God's choice of us? Um, and so when I present that again, it, it's sort of, uh, this, this response of, oh, well, in God's eternal perspective, he's always seen us as in Christ. This feels like kind of like an appeal to mystery. And it's sort of a, you know, oh, well, God, God works in mysterious ways, uh, sort of non response is it, that's at least how I, I feel about that response. Um, in the face of an objection, the objection I'm bringing that I think presents an apparent contradiction this is just kind of an easy and quick way out that doesn't really require putting much deep thought into it. And I think ultimately it doesn't really, uh, you know, fit even with with what in him, that phrase in him is understood to even mean. And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that here, here in a minute. But the third thing that I can't help but feel when I hear this response, I feel that the Calvinist could really remove in him from Ephesians 1-4. I think that that phrase could be taken out of it, and they could still arrive at their same conclusions um, about about this passage. I believe that to be in Christ, if put simply, it means union with Christ. It's relational, involving an organic connection or being engrafted into him. To be in Christ by necessity is accompanied by forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption, etc., uh, because you can't be in Christ and not have all these things be true of you. And so, I don't think this is even a you know, this view that I have of what it means to be in Christ is not really a, a highly you know, debated uh perspective. I think you know, I've read both Calvinists and non Calvinists from you know, R.C. Sproul. Piper, even Calvin, um, and and, uh, C.S. Lewis, I mean, a a whole variety of people that I was reading about this, trying to get their perspective on that phrase, in him, and how they understand it. And there's pretty much this unanimous uh, agreement that to be in him, in him means relationship, connection to Christ. Many of them would use the same analogy of being engrafted into him. It it, it kind of draws from Jesus's analogy of vine and branches.
1: Calvin said, we do not contemplate Christ outside ourselves from afar in order that his righteousness may be imputed to us, but because we put on Christ and are engrafted into his body. In short, because he deigns to make us one with him. The New Testament says we are in Christ. That is to say, we are literally engulfed in one another in an inseparable union. To be in Christ, first of all, means that we have a relationship with Christ, a saving relationship with Christ and are brought into union and communion with him. The Bible pictures our human connectedness to Christ, in which he is Indispensable for every good that we enjoy.
0: It involves this intimacy, an organic living connection to Jesus. To be in Him means that there is a present connection to Him, um, and all that comes along with again things like forgiveness, redemption, all the spiritual blessings. You know that you see in Ephesians one three. Those necessarily come along with that that organic connection to Christ because you can't have one without the other. You can't have the blessings without Christ. You can't have some of them, uh, you know, unless you have all of them because all of them are in him. So to have him is to have them all, to not have him is to have none of them. When I
1: become attached to Jesus by faith, and now I use this biblical phrase, I am in Christ. All that he is and all that he has which can be shared with me, is shared with me. No saving good, no eternal good comes to us, except as we are connected to Christ.
0: And so th- this is sort of the idea that, you know, the general idea that I get from reading both Calvinist and non-Calvinist uh, commentators and thinkers on the subject. And so I'm, I'm saying that to say that when I define in Him, with this perspective that I'm bringing, I don't think it's 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 not something that I would hope somebody would say. Oh well, well you know we can throw out everything you're saying in your whole argument because your perspective on what it means to be in Him is wrong. I just I, I don't think this is really a debatable thing. It's pretty unanimously agreed upon. So if as Calvinism uh, response. Uh, the Calvinistic response says this: this response that I'm talking about that we read in the comments um, that we have always been in Christ in God's mind. Then, in God's mind, we have always been forgiven, redeemed, reconciled, and in union or relationship with Christ. Uh, so, therefore, in God's mind, we have never really been lost. Uh, we've never really been children of wrath who are without hope and without God and separated from Christ, like Ephesians uh, chapter 2 says. So I find it odd, actually, that some Calvinists suggest, it seems, some that would give this response that we've, you know, in, in God's perspective, we've always been in Christ, Um they seem to suggest that if it's only, you know, if it's only in God's eternal perspective that he's, you know, seeing us as in Christ, then that makes it something less than actually being in Christ. You know, we're not actually in Christ until we believe, but there's this sense in which from God's eternal perspective, he's always seen us as being in Christ. So I kind of want to explain why I think that's just a, a distinction without a difference. um, you know i don't think a distinction can be made uh between being in christ actually and being in christ in god's mind only i just don't think there's really when you stop and think and consider it there's really a distinction uh to be made there a legitimate one a meaningful one being in christ it's it's not some physical visi- visible thing but it's something that entirely, uh, it happens and exists in the mind of God. It's, it's because it's God's perspective, his evaluation of us and our circumstances, our situation, our spiritual condition. It's because God looks and evaluates us in the way he does as seeing us as in Christ. That is what makes in Christ actual, <laughs> I would say. And so to simply, uh, respond to, to my interpretations of Ephesians 1 by saying, Oh, well, you know, from God's eternal perspective, you know, he, he's always seen us as being in Christ, but we didn't actually get to being, come to be in Christ until we believed. I just don't think that works. I don't think that works at all. What makes us truly and really in Christ is when that becomes God's perspective of us. So when the Calvinist responds by saying, from God's perspective, we have always been in Christ, they are essentially just saying, we have always been in Christ. Their appeal to God's eternal perspective is ultimately a distinction without any real difference.
1: Your union with that risen Christ was accomplished in the mind of God before he created the
0: world. And so I wanna explain why this is problematic. To say that God has always seen us as in Christ, I think goes, kind of flies in the face of so much of the New Testament. And ultimately, as I've kind of already alluded to, suggests that there really has been for the elect no real need of salvation they they've never really really had any meaningful uh, uh, separation from God or Christ if you know, I think what we're going to see here in a minute, there's things that are described as being a part of being in Christ, that, that you can again, you can't be in Christ and not have these things, some of which we've already mentioned, forgiveness, redemption, etc. And so to say that we've always been in Christ is to, you know, in God's mind is to, in a very real way, say that the elect of Calvinism have never actually been lost. They've never been separated from God. They've never been in need of salvation or forgiveness, being that they were born into this world, being perceived by God as already being in Christ, therefore, you know, a natural part of being in Christ is being forgiven of sins and redeemed, reconciled, all these things. Again, you can't have one without the other. So the elect of Calvinism in a very real way, according to this, at least to this response, I'm not saying all Calvinists would or do respond in this way, but but the ones who respond this way, you are in a very real way saying the elect of, of your system have never been lost, have never, really never needed to be saved from anything, never needed to be forgiven, being that they were born in Christ in which they already had forgiveness. To be in Christ means God sees us differently than he did before. While before, before we were in Christ, we were seen as separate from Christ, according to Ephesians 2.12. But he now sees us as being united to Christ. This is what it means to be in Christ, that there's this almost like a you know the analogy of marriage. To be in Christ, it relates to this concept of marriage. It's this intimacy, this closeness that we now have that we didn't have before. So where once God saw us as being in Adam, he now sees us as in Christ, the Calvinist suggestion that God has always seen us in Christ does away with all of this. It completely removes, you know, uh, any meaningful sense in which the elect have ever been in Adam uh, or ever not been in Christ. Obviously, and I just think that that's creates a whole lot of issues. That I, I hope you're beginning to see some of those issues, and, and I'll continue to here to talk about a few more. So if God has always seen us as being in Christ, then when we actually came to faith in Christ, very little changed for us in reality, for the elect. Except for that, we came to understand things about us that had essentially always been true of us. So in other words, it's not that when we came to faith, we were actually being reconciled with God, forgiven or being made sons of God. Instead, we are simply realizing, you know, when we came to faith, we were simply realizing that these things were already and had always been true of us. And I say this, this is what I think the implications are of this Calvinistic response. Again, that God has always seen us as being in Christ. Things like being reconciled are part and parcel with being in Christ. You, you cannot have one without the other. It, it would be an oxymoron in a sense to say a person is in Christ in the mind of God, but not yet reconciled. It, that's you know kind of like saying this person is a living dead branch. This person is a branch that has life, but doesn't have life. If God has always seen us as being in Christ, then there would be no significant change in how he sees and identifies us before and after faith in Christ. There's really been no change in the mind of God or God's perception of us or how he relates to us. Again, the only real significant change would simply be that when we come to faith, we come to realize things that have always been true of us. We have always been in Christ in the mind of God. And now finally, we understand that. Again, I think the implications of this are that the elect of Calvinism have never truly been lost, never truly been children of wrath without hope and without God, uh, separated from Christ. And according to 1 Peter, uh, who were once not a people, but now are a people, none of those things can really be, have any meaning or, or truth to them if God has always seen the elect as being in Christ. Because that would imp- that would entail God always seeing the elect as in Christ, that he has always seen them as his people, uh, which, you know, contradicts 1 Peter saying we once were not a people, uh, we're not chosen, we're not uh, a chosen people. Uh, it would contradict Ephesians 2 that says we were once children of wrath. Well, if God has always looked at us and thought of us as in Christ, you can't you can't be in Christ or perceived by God to be in Christ at the same time you're perceived as children of wrath. This is, this is again, I think t- demonstrates a fundamental misunderstanding or just a, um, a not considering of the significance and implications of what it means to be in him. And Ephesians 2 says that we were once separate from Christ how could God always have seen us as being in Christ? How, how can that be true? God sees us, He relates to us even uh, by by giving us the spiritual blessing of choosing us, which I'm going will be one of the last points I make here. Uh, but he he sees us and relates to us in a very real sense again, in his eternal perspective as having always been in Christ. Well, if you're always been in Christ, in God's mind, then in God's mind also you've never been separated from Christ to think that one you can be you can be counted defined identified on the one hand as you're separate from Christ children of wrath without God Ephesians 2 but yet God sees you as in Christ um i just think that is the bible doesn't leave room for for those uh you know Clearly contradictory uh, identifications of of the elect to be true at the same time. I think the Calvinist doesn't intend to do so, but when they suggest that in God's mind the elect have always been in Christ, they are inadvertently suggesting that the elect have always been sons of God, because Galatians three twenty six says, "For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God." What goes hand in hand with being in Christ Jesus? being a son of God. Again, you can't have one without the other. If you are, if you're in Christ, if you're engrafted into him, then by necessity, you are a son of God. If God has always seen the elect as being in Christ, then God has always seen the elect as being his children, sons of the living God. And so again, I would say how, how, how does that work? What, Where is biblical support that would suggest that you can simultaneously be a child of wrath while you're a son of God? You can simultaneously be separated from Christ while you're connected to Christ in the mind of God? I just think that these are objectively contradictory in nature and I think you can see that this route that the Calvinist goes in responding to to some of the things I say about Ephesians 1, it just, it doesn't, not only does it not work, but it creates just a whole other realm uh, of problems and questions uh, and contradictions that, that would then need solved. And again, when the Calvinist suggests that God has always seen us in Christ, I think they are inadvertently suggesting that the elect have always been without condemnation. Being that Romans uh, 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What goes hand in hand with being in Christ? No condemnation. God has always seen us as being in Christ. God has never seen us as being condemned. Also, the elect have always been redeemed and forgiven because Ephesians 2.7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Has God always seen us as being in him? If so, then God has always seen us as being redeemed and forgiven of our trespasses. Therefore, again, we've never been under condemnation, never needed save from anything as the elect of, of Calvinism the elect have always been new creations because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so if in any way, any person is in Christ in the mind of God, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So if in the mind of God, the elect have always been in Christ, then there has never been a point where old things have been in need to pass away because they are already, they are born into this world, being new creations in God's sight. The elect have always been spiritually complete, according to Colossians 2.10, because Paul says, and you have been made complete in Christ. So again, the elect of Calvinism, according to this, this particular response anyways, would suggest that the elect were born into this world being spiritually complete, complete. In every uh, way, I think this goes back again to Paul saying every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. There's not one thing the believer lacks uh, who, is, who is connected to Jesus. And so the elect of Calvinism entered into this world really in need of nothing, being already saved in the realest sense I can think of, and being spiritually complete, and lastly, the elect have always had every spiritual blessing because Ephesians 1.3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. The elect of Calvinism, according to this response, entered into this world having every spiritual blessing, being in need of, of really nothing from God in terms of salvation, redemption, for, forgiveness of sins because They came into this world in Christ, in the mind of God, therefore they came into this world in need of none of these things. I think possibly an objection that I'm trying to put my finger on that I'm thinking might come from this would be to just, again, try to make a, a distinction between, well, it's only in the mind of God, like in his eternal perspective that he's seeing us as in Christ. But there's actually a point in time where it becomes actually true. I think I kind of touched on this already more toward the beginning of the video, but I just want to reemphasize that I think to say that it's only in the mind of God, like it's his perspective, his eternal perspective, that he sees us as being in Christ. That That is a distinction without a difference, because how could it become any more true or actual than being in the mind of God? You know, what else would need to happen to make it actual and true that we are in Christ than for it to be true in God's mind? And so I just think that for any Calvinist interpretation of Ephesians 1, for for it to be valid, legitimate, uh, compelling, it it needs to have a place in its uh, exegesis of this passage for the in him. And not just a place, not a place where it's non-consequential, not a place where it could potentially be entirely removed and, and the conclusions reached on this verse are still the same. I think that shows there's, there's probably a deep problem going on with whatever your interpretation is. If you can entirely remove that passage and still have the same basic idea that before the foundation of the world, God chose, chose us to be holy and blameless the in him is removed there but i think you could you could still take the calvinist um, interpretation and it could it could still be there um, at least at least from my vantage point and and if you feel like that's not correct if you feel like the in him is necessary and that your interpretation wouldn't be able to make sense without it then i i'm open to hearing how that is the case thank you for listening to the great light studios podcast To find more information and resources or to watch our films, you can find links in the show notes of this episode to our Facebook, YouTube, and other social media accounts. And also, would you consider leaving a five-star review on this podcast? Positive reviews go a long way in helping to get this content pushed out to more people.